I want to talk about humility, the idea of humility, and how this gets played out in society. Clearly, that's a really large topic. So uh, hopefully, if I just say right off that uh, I'm not going to cover most of the topic, I'm not going to cover, say, the history of it or uh, most of the the implications of it, even within, uh, say, Western culture. Hopefully, that'll sort of cut things off at the pass, and it'll make it okay that I'm going to uh, take a fairly limited, uh, not very knowledgeable scope on it, which is, uh, in a way, both oddly appropriate for talking about humility and points out the problem, which is really what I want to talk about. Um, what I would what I would term a problem of false humility, which is that um, a lot of times, specifically uh, in in Western or really American culture, and I think this is also somewhat specific to where I live, where I've where I've grown up, uh, the the Northeast, Massachusetts. Uh, humility is not just expected of people a lot of the time it's a kind of dance if you want to put it uh politely it's or what i what i often think of it as and i think of a lot of things this way uh it's a game it's a game that's played between people uh it's played on an internal level too which gets a little bit more complicated in some ways but in terms of people talking social interactions it's a game that gets played with certain forms, certain formats, certain kinds of rules, really people expect, uh, in a lot of places, people expect each other to put on a kind of show of humility, um, and if that doesn't happen, people tend to get confused and they get uh, upset, frustrated, and angry. So what can happen is there's a sort of... Um, constant thing of showing one's own humility really showing one's own wretchedness showing that you're you're just nothing you're you don't know anything you don't have anything to say um uh your your opinion is worthless you, you're you're you don't really have you don't have much and if you do you want to downplay it and if that doesn't happen people a lot of the time tend to think you're you, you think you're better than them quote-unquote, or you think you're too good. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's there's a lot there, but part of that, I think, is just uh, on the level of a, a sort of custom or cultural game where people are expecting a certain level of, um, of humility, of a kind of false humility, and that it's not totally from the heart, it's not totally true or honest, it's based on making other people comfortable. Not that making other people uncomfortable is the best thing in the world, or not that making people uh, comfortable is so bad. Um, definitely there, there are a lot of things with love and with kindness that um, get involved with making people comfortable, sort of being a host to other people. That's very positive. That's great. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But the kind of thing that happens where, you know, if you're talking to somebody about something good that happened to you, uh, and I'll try to think of some concrete examples to make this a little bit clear, but talking about something good that happened to you where you kind of downplay it in order to not upset them or not to make it competitive. And the irony there is a lot of times the humility itself becomes competitive with someone saying uh, something to the effect that, oh, you know, this, you know, I've, I've done this, for example, I've done this, maybe I've been to school, I've completed certain kinds of training, or I've, I've learned a skill, whether it's art or fixing cars or carpentry I've, I've i know this uh maybe i'm pretty good at it but i'm not that great at it like let's take the example of carpentry because that's something i can't really do um you know i, I won't feel uncomfortable talking about that because i you know um that's something i can talk about without really having knowledge of it's sort of abstract but it's real at the same time so let's say let's say for example you learned um a certain kind of carpentry i guess there are different kinds but you've learned 
you've learned some a number of skills involved in, in carpentry and making stuff using using those kind of skills and those tools and from hearing me talk about it obviously I know very very little about it um, you know I can I can do some basic fixing up in the house but really really basic um, and that's not false humility that's actually true I'm really <laughs> I'm not I'm not handy uh, um, yeah uh, so let's say, let's say for example that you've become a, a good carpenter and there's not there's not a kind of self-delusion there you're not fooling yourself you actually are a decent carpenter measured up against other carpenters who have had the same amount of experience as you um, and, and you're and you're talking to someone about this it comes up in conversation somehow um, uh, say with an acquaintance it's 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 very very common for people in that kind of situation to say well you know I've learned this but you know I'm, I'm not the greatest or um, yeah, I've been a carpenter now for 15 years. Uh, I, I apprenticed for a little while, or I learned a lot of stuff from my dad, maybe my uncles, uh, and uh, and that's how I got into this. And it just sort of happened naturally. I got into this thing, and it, it, uh, it seemed like something I I felt comfortable doing. It was it was my kind of thing. And and after a certain point, I, I learned it, and maybe I started getting some jobs here and there, and then it went from there. And but so often with that kind of thing. Uh, not everybody. You know, there are confident people out there. There are people who are overconfident or um, brash, too. And that, that's the that's the other side of that coin. That's the opposite of this false humility, a kind of false pride. But you know, with, with false humility, saying you know, yeah, I, I've I've learned a little bit of this, but you know, it's it's no big deal, or uh, it's not, you know, I'm I'm not the greatest, uh, and you know. I, I guess I guess at this point I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking about this soon because I don't I don't actually have a whole lot to say about it. I feel like if I drone on for another five minutes, I'm gonna start kind of treading water um, intellectually. But I guess at this point, the interesting uh, tension or irony, the the interesting question is that on the one hand, it's it's fake. Um, it's a game that gets played uh, because people are afraid of offending other people. Um, or they feel uncomfortable with themselves, or they feel on some level that they are really amazing at this thing. There is a level of false pride going on with the carpenter example. Maybe they feel like they're they're really really an, uh, an incredible carpenter. They're better than most of the other guys out there who have been doing carpentry this long. But if they let that show, they know that they're going to get in trouble. Uh, people are going to think that they're too proud. They're gonna. They're gonna think they're they're, um, sort of acting above their station. If that's if that's a phrase. Um, so in order in order to counteract that or kind of head that off at the pass, they come out with this this um, mask of false humility. Almost as a sort of battle with themselves, battling with their own pride. Which is definitely something that that happens, something that I that I work on, uh, and is in a certain way very valuable to work on, because pride and arrogance in themselves are, are can be very destructive and and diluting, very confusing, uh, as they as they go on as a pattern, you start to believe in your own arrogance, in some ways, while at the same time doubting yourself because you realize that at some deep level it is not true, that gets very confusing, very hallucinatory. So on the one hand, there's that that, that negative uh, fake humility that goes on as a sort of game or an internal battle connected to a game. On the other hand, I think it's important to realize uh, at some level that all these games are valid as games. And that gets very, very dangerous, very tricky, because it gets us into areas of dishonesty, uh, and manipulation, you know, you can say things like, "Well, I wasn't being fully honest about something, but you know, it's just uh, it's the way people are." You know, if you're communicating in a way that's very false and dishonest, seeing that that as a game being valid, well, you know, you can trick somebody, or you don't have to present the truth uh, about what you think or who you are or what you're doing because it's all just a game. So that gets very, very dangerous. But uh, in another way, um, 
culture, society seems to be made up of customs and games. Uh, and uh, one issue that I have so often with the world, with the way, interacting with other people and society is that I, I, if I get the hint that something is not authentic, that it seems like a game to me or some kind of dance, um, like small talk, for example, for a long time, I, I was just disgusted, utterly disgusted by small talk. Uh, and I've gotten over that for a number of reasons. It's that's not really an issue so much anymore. Um, I should talk about small talk later. That's a really interesting one. But uh, there's a part of me that just uh, gets flies off the handle internally most of the time. That flies off the handle when it sees that there's some kind of mask being put on by people, some kind of game. Uh, in a very simplistic kind of childish way, that's not real. That's not re that's not what people really feel. That's not what they really think. There's some kind of uh, deceptive dance going on. Um, but and there's there's something to that. But at the same time, if you blindly get stuck in that kind of rut where you're thinking that, where you only accept authenticity, you you only feel that you're authentic and you'll only deal with others who are really uh, acting in terms of integrity and total honesty. Um, first of all, you're, you're going to be very, very lonely. Uh, you're going to have a whole lot of people who want to interact with you, which could be okay, but it's going to be very, very uh, isolating in some ways. Uh, but, but at the same time, it, it just limits your options as far as action a whole lot. I guess that's that's sort of what I want to say. It limits your options in terms of action. Uh, sometimes I talk about spontaneity. Spontaneity, a uh, part of it, I think, means having a whole lot of options in terms of action. You can choose a whole lot of different options in uh, an unforced, natural, often very quick, responsive way. You can choose a lot of, from a you can choose from a lot of different options if you're relating in a way that's only that rejects any inauthentic behavior or presentation, your options tend to narrow down pretty fast. Um, it's a kind of aversion. It's a kind of rejection of custom. So I, I think I want to end here by saying that there's a, a tension, and I think I'll try to explore this more later on in this, this, this episode, a tension between seeing the falseness of some of those customs but then also seeing the workability of some the of those topic customs. of humility, which I'm um, focusing on for this episode, focusing on mostly for this episode. There will be a couple of other little uh, sections, I think, at least one other section on music, maybe one on current events, definitely one on music. So to prepare for this one, I, I tried to find some reading material online. And, um, of course, that's, that's limited. Just doing a Google search and sifting through it, what pops up. But I was able to find a fairly interesting article on the, um, I think it's the Harvard Business Review website. So uh, I found this article on humility in terms of leadership. Humility and what it takes to be a good leader how humility can benefit leaders, help them develop leadership skills, uh, be a good boss, basically. You know, it's, it's Harvard Business Review, and I think a lot of times when people are talking about leadership, they're talking about being a good boss. And that's who, that's who's interested in those things, isn't it? I don't think, uh, for the most part, I don't think people who are going to leadership conferences, reading books about leadership, are people who want to be really leaders in their community in terms of making their neighborhood a better place or leaders in their city in terms of, you know, that kind of politics or that sort of thing. It's really, it's mostly business people, which is fine, but it's just one of those terms that, uh, like most terms, there are hidden meanings, there are connotations to it that it's sometimes very useful to unpack those connotations because if you don't 
they trail along behind the word and they can become, uh, they muddy the waters a little bit. So yeah, uh, the idea of humility as a um, support for leadership skills, particularly in the business world. Now, I'm not going to go through the article section by section. It went over a short list of um, ways that humility can benefit you as a leader. And it was pretty good. For the, for the most part, I agreed with it. I, I thought it was decent. Um, but one thing I took away from the article, and um, this is a topic that really everyone thinks about. It's an interesting one because I think... Trying to not not overgeneralize here. I think whether you're very religious, a little religious, not religious at all, whether you're you call yourself spiritual but not religious, which is its own problematic kind of uh, term or concept. Uh, humility is something you think about. So, in my own personal life, it's something that I've thought about a lot, uh, and it's it's really in many ways, just a part of maturing, becoming, uh, growing up. It's one of the marks of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an adult, you know, one of the things that, that kids are being told sometimes in a very heavy handed way is that they need to, uh, just be careful about how they see themselves, be be realistic about how they see themselves in terms of the world, not have too much pride, uh, not put themselves above others when it's inappropriate. So, you know, it's something that everyone thinks about, and that's that's somewhat interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a virtue that goes beyond religion and very, uh, very naturally. And I think there are some virtues out there that don't, necessarily go beyond religion as easily. They tend to stay within a religious context, which is also fine, but it seems like humility is one that everyone works on naturally, which is not to say that it's easy to work on or that people under most people understand it. It's not to say that it doesn't get mixed up with culture in a very... Uh, it, doesn't get, it does get poisoned by culture in certain ways. I talked about humility becoming a game before or a kind of social um, ritual, and that's one way it can become poisoned. But it's something that people, people work on, and it goes beyond religion. So one thing that, uh, the main thing I want to talk about that I got from this article about humility and leadership was Humility, one of the biggest parts of it, as I see it, is a sense of uh, open-mindedness and appreciation of others. Open-mindedness, uh, as it was brought up in this article, it open-mindedness open -mindedness was talked about in terms of knowing where you're not an expert or knowing where you want someone else someone else's advice or someone else to handle something uh, describe this as not thinking you're the master of the universe so realizing that you're not great at everything you're not the best at everything and then uh, proceeding from there planning your strategy planning your actions from that point In a certain way, I think humility has a lot to do with not just uh, unleashing your energy on the world, not just running things over with your energy. There are definitely approaches to life where you, you can go with the flow or be very vigorous, have a lot of energy, and that's that's excellent in its own way. But when we're talking about humility, I think one thing we're talking about is not just letting your energy off the chain and letting it run wild. Because 
I think everyone has experienced moments where we're interacting with someone and they're, they can be overwhelming or a little aggressive or they just think, you know, in a subtler way, they think their ideas, their opinions, the way they see things is just the best. Or we've, we've seen that in ourselves. We've taken a step back as we're talking. We've noticed as we're talking, oh, I really, I'm really very sure of my idea, but maybe I'm, I'm off. Like if we're talking to someone and they're, they're not automatically agreeing with our idea. We, we thought at first that some opinion we had was, was absolutely correct, but someone doesn't exactly go along with it and you start to question, well, maybe that was not, uh, that's not it. Part of the idea with humility is that you proceed forward slowly and carefully. You, you kind of measure out your energy as you go forward, if that makes sense. You measure out your energy. Uh, so with humility, one thing, one thing this is based on is my own study uh, and practice of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche's Shambhala teachings. And in these teachings, one of the topics he talks about is humility. And he doesn't exactly call it that, but he basically talks about humility. And the analogy that he uses is a tiger moving slowly through the jungle. So kind of a traditional type of analogy. Um, maybe kind of old-fashioned sounding, but... If you can just imagine with this idea of not barreling people over with your energy or not running people over with your ideas, it's uh, if you can picture a, a, a large, a large wild animal, a, a big cat, moving through the forest. Obviously, they could run if they wanted to. They could run. They could leap. They could uh, they could attack things. But if they're just uh, let's say they're they're hunting something they would probably move very very slowly so they wouldn't even crack a, a twig if they didn't if they were uh, if they were careful enough moving very very slowly cautiously paying tremendous attention that's that's the kind of idea that i'm talking about uh and that's really a, a kind of open mindedness uh and it has to do with a kind of listening a lot of times, a kind of open-minded listening to people especially, but also things. So with this particular idea of humility that I'm talking about, I don't want to get too much into Shambhala teachings because that's not what I want to focus on here. But with this particular way of looking at it, it's, it's, humility is not just a way of interacting with people. It's not just about being less full of yourself when you interact with people, although that's that's wonderful, that's really good. It's also just about the way you interact with everything, with your whole world, with the universe. So there's the idea of, of open-mindedness, moving forward slowly, not just letting your energy run wild. So if your energy were uh, were a dog, not letting the dog just jump up on people and paw them and sniff at them and lick them, but sort of having a having a bit of a leash on it, not having uh, a tight, uh, overly repressive, controlling leash on the energy, but just having enough of a leash so that you're regulating it, you're moving forward cautiously, uh, humbly, which at the same time is not, uh, is not self-denigrating. It's not a, you know, it's not about, you know, this article about leadership suggests that if humility and leadership can go together, it's, you're already seeing yourself as a leader or at least as a potential leader. And in that sense, humility doesn't mean making yourself into nothing at all. It doesn't mean showing or feeling that you're worthless. It's about uh, finding the correct place, 
the spot, as Trungpa Rinpoche would say sometimes, or spot. Understanding your, your uh, relationship with others in a deep way so that you're not putting yourself above others when you, when you don't need to. Uh, and then the other part of this that I was thinking about is that just, just based on this article and a little bit of training and then my own experience of trying to work with this in a very, uh, uh, for me, a very physical way. It's a very physical feeling when I try to um, find this for myself in the moment. Let's say I'm talking to someone. When I try to find it when I'm talking to someone, it's about... Uh, it's about appreciating others, appreciating who other people are, what they're really like, what their positives and negatives are, whatever their strengths and their weaknesses are. So, um, mostly for this, for mostly for me, this means getting out of a negative and judgmental attitude when I look at other people. Uh, I tend to be pretty judgmental, as do a lot of people. And uh, humility means turning that down a notch, getting away from that, and um, being present with people. I think at the same time, also not going overboard and getting super, super excited about people. You know, just thinking thinking someone is amazing and wonderful, even if there are there they have their issues and whatever. A sense of balance there is what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, balance and appreciation. So, so not just not just balance in some sort of uh, not just balance alone, but balance in terms of appreciating others. And uh, as much as possible, trying to enjoy the presence of other people. This is the episode on humility the humility episode but i wanted to talk to something uh talk about something that's not related to that directly at all which is mental health and i'm just bringing up my twitter here because i want to look through some stuff that i was saying online yesterday and then some things other people were saying Okay, so one of, one of the things that people, um, if they're not a little bit too involved in social media, and I think almost everyone who is involved in social media at all is a little bit too involved. That's sort of uh, part of how it works. One of the things that uh, is part of it now, at least, I don't think it was when I first started out, uh, you know, with like MySpace and, and Facebook and all that one of the parts of it now seems to be that there are these different days that, that everyone gets excited about or talks about. I think um, the main reason for that just seems to be it's something to talk about. It's something that, beyond just like what food you're eating or where you're going or what's going on with your life, which can get pretty repetitive for most people, uh, pretty boring. So there are all these different days. I think today is National Sausage Pizza Day. So that's a new one. That's pretty ridiculous. They have all these different days, uh, you know, World Smile Day, World Pizza Day, World Donut Day, uh, and then all these different hashtags and uh, ways people are trying to talk about different things. So uh, apparently yesterday was World Mental Health Day. I didn't realize until I saw this online. Uh, I'm always checking these kind of things online on, uh, on social media. And this came up and I had a couple of things that I wanted to say about this that I posted online. And... Uh, mostly what I was saying was based on, was a kind of reaction to what other people were saying. The idea behind it seemed pretty well-intentioned, uh, and like a lot of, hmm, I guess you could say progressive ideas, well-intentioned, but full of, um, uh, problems and little quirks, I guess you could say. I'm trying to I'm trying to put it nicely. I, I don't have a huge issue with it, but I think there are a lot of things that need to be uh, figured out. It's not, it's not, I'm not sure how to put this. Uh, 
It's not as sharp as it could be. It seems it seems fairly clumsy. It seems like a fairly clumsy way of taking on a very serious issue and an issue that should be taken on and addressed. And uh, part of the idea with the whole uh, being very public about mental health thing is that it, it can be uh, swept under the rug, that there's a lot of shame people feel about it. People don't want to talk about it, especially men, I think. I think there's a lot of embarrassment among men who uh, are expected to be pretty stoic in a lot of ways when it comes to suffering and pain and uh, illness, especially in this culture. I think in a lot of different cultures, that's the case. Uh, so just trying to make this public, I think that's that's positive in a lot of ways, but the way it gets done, uh, I take issue with that. So I'm just going to look through a couple of my tweets here and then sort of search through the hashtag itself and see if I can come up with some other things to say. Um, So first off, I said it's just a good conversation to have. I think that's true. I think it's good to talk about it. The key is that the way people talk about it is pretty important. And um, it's good that people are trying. But a, a kind of, uh, if the conversation is overly simplistic or uh, a little bit condescending, then that's not going to help as much as it might. So saying things like, uh, never give up. If you feel bad, talk to somebody. Uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Those things are very good in a certain way, but at the same time, it really oversimplifies a pretty complex issue, one that's deeply interconnected with all sorts of cultural things, and also, of course, very personal issues for, for anyone who struggles with mental illness. And one thing that I was saying is that it's... Um, it's a problem to separate this out and make it be about people who have so-called mental health issues and everybody else, because everybody struggles with those issues. And that's not a matter of saying, you know, oh, everyone has a hard time sometimes, although that's sort of what it's about. It's, uh, I believe it's really about recognizing at some level that people's minds are generally very uh, fraught with problems. People's, people suffer a lot. People have a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of confusion, and a lot of confusion about how the best, what they should be doing, what's the best way to live, the best way to deal with other people, situations in their life, uh, and how to deal with themselves, how to face their own minds, and look at their own minds, what perspective they should have on their own minds, what a mind is, what your mind does. One, um, I'm going to try not to just go into talking about Trungpa because I tend to do that a lot and that must get pretty pretty boring. But one uh, one insight that I think a number of spiritual t traditions have is that People are not, um, on the whole, very mentally healthy. Mental health is not the norm. So that's, that's the first thing that I want to um, address. I think behind a lot of this discussion, from what I can tell, this is seeing it online, not talking to people in person about it, uh, but a lot of the discussion seems to be based on this assumption that there's um, some percentage of society... Um, maybe a very small one, maybe about half, I don't know, That's uh, that has fairly serious so-called mental health issues that's suffering a lot, that's struggling, and then the rest of society that's, uh, that's normal, that maybe has a hard time, has ups and downs, uh, the, the uh, things everyone struggles with, but are not uh, mentally unwell in any way. And that's simply a misconception. That's not the way human beings are. That's not the way they work. It's, uh, it's that old cliche that if you get to know anybody at all, you'll see that people you thought were normal or healthy uh, have difficulties, or have weirdnesses, have little quirks and problems. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this with, with friends. You've gotten to know a friend before. They seemed 
relatively happy and, and normal and then you get to see that there's some little weird things going on for them even if they're generally a very good or happy person they have little uh, little um, chinks in the armor little quirks little issues that might bother you or that might not bother you but you just perceive them and you notice oh that's kind of strange that they do that I wonder why they they create that problem for themselves or I wonder why they obsess or worry about this issue everyone has that so it's it's just really important and I, I, I don't want to overemphasize this but at the same time if that's not a basic understanding going into this discussion then there's nowhere to go there's absolutely nowhere to go because uh, it becomes very uh, in an odd way very dualistic it becomes condescending and it's based on a misunderstanding of the way all people are. If uh, it seems like part of the idea with this discussion is there's some hope for a change in society as re regarding mental illness, uh, and this this seems to have come up especially in terms of um, mass shootings because part of the discussion around that is gun control and also addressing the mental health of people who end up going out and doing really terrible, violent things. And there's there's no argument that those people are are unwell obviously they're not well they're not they're not uh they're not sane um i lost my train of thought there but it's it's uh it needs to be part of that the basic the foundation of that discussion that everyone is dealing with this. So uh, I, I remember what I, was, what I was trying to get at. So uh, part of the hope with this discussion, I think, and I could be off on this, but part of the idea behind it is that there can be some improvement in the way society itself, talking about American society, but you know, society can deal with these uh, mental health problems people have. But as long as we're seeing that as some kind of aberration, then there's not going to be enough of a change. Things aren't going to change enough. And I'm not, personally, I'm not particularly hopeful a huge shift is going to happen in this area because it's just such a deep part of the way human beings are and have been for such a long time. But if there is some hope, if there's some expectation of a, a change going on in terms of society and uh, in the mind, I think it's very, very important that the understanding is that everyone experiences these things. So it's not a matter of, um, and obviously there are, there are different levels. If someone is catatonic, if they're experiencing such, such craziness that they can't even speak or, or live at all, then that's, that's a different level than someone who has relative, relatively minor anxiety or depression or it tends to obsess over things a little bit, but at the same time, still, people, everyone experiences some form of these things, and you can't, you can't ignore that by just downplaying it by saying, quote unquote, normal people have a very minor version of this because they don't. It's not, it's not minor at all. It affects things. It makes life difficult. And it's very real. So if there's any hope for that change, it has to begin with seeing that the way people are and seeing that people's relationship to themselves and the perception of what mental health truly is has to, has to shift. Um, and then the implications of that get a lot more complicated, I think, but I just wanted to start with that. Uh, I worked at a, a special ed school for a couple of years, and I, because of that, I knew a few a few psychologists there. So I wasn't, uh, I didn't know them very well, but uh, I would, you know, say hi to them in the halls. I would talk to them every once in a while, and uh, sometimes the teachers would even teachers and I was a teaching assistant, so the teachers and the staff and the psychologists would go out for a, you know, lunch somewhere or get a drink somewhere together. And I remember uh, this one psychologist. Who, uh, who I really didn't get along with that well. He was kind of an odd guy, kind of uh, confrontational, but very smart. And uh, he said one thing just in passing. He said a couple of things to me that, that really had a big impact on my life, um, which should show you that someone doesn't need to be nice or even a friend in order to help you. 
and show you some kind of insight about life and about yourself. But anyway, this psychologist said something in passing it. We were, um, a group of us were out at lunch at a restaurant. Uh, he said something about how we were talking about some student, I think, who was having a hard time, and it was a special ed school, so a lot of the students were having a hard time with various things. Not that at a, a regular school there wouldn't be a lot of students having a difficult time, but the focus is somewhat different in uh, in special ed, obviously. Anyway, this psychologist said something about how uh, any kind of um, mental health issue is a community issue, not just an individual issue. And that really changed the way that I think about it. So whatever problems people have, it's not just based on their own personal psychology, their own, you know, personal ideas about what's right and wrong, their, uh, their hangups, their fears, their, um, you know, what, what, um, traumatic experiences they may have had, but all those things, all those things are there, but all those things also relate to other people. They relate to the community they're in, their neighborhood, uh, their school, their job, all those things, they all figure in. And when someone has really serious problems, and like I was saying before, everyone to some degree has really serious problems, those also affect other people. So if someone is very depressed, it's going to affect everyone around them. Um, if someone is very, very anxious, it's going to affect everyone around them. I think in terms of everyone having mental health issues, one thing that uh, contemplative traditions like Buddhism have to offer is this understanding, and this is something I was trying to get at too when I was uh, posting about this, the understanding that people are, uh, you could say, 99% responsible for themselves. People are basically responsible for themselves and in many ways responsible for their own minds. So realizing that you impact other people, realizing that uh, mental health issues are community issues in some sense, that means that it's important to, you could say, work on yourself, although that sounds a little bit too superficial. But that's the idea. It's important to work on those issues. And uh, it's not just private. Nothing is entirely private when it comes to your mind or your emotions. So... Part of the discussion around this too was around shame and guilt, and I don't think anything that profound got said there. Although it's uh, it's important to talk about um, the idea of taking responsibility for your mind is not about shame or guilt, and that's a very fine line because it's very important to work on. It's seeing whatever issues you have and how they affect other people can bring up feelings of guilt. You can feel bad because you're um, whatever issue it is, whether it's anxiety or anger or um, anything, seeing how it affects other people can make you feel bad. A certain amount of that is necessary, I think, because the natural, it's a very natural reaction that if you see that you're harming other people or making people uncomfortable or having some negative impact on your community, it's natural to feel a little bit bad about that. I guess uh, one point to make in terms of guilt and shame is just that you shouldn't feel too bad. You should just take it easy on yourself. However you can do that. Another thing that I said was that sometimes standards of mental health are too high and sometimes too low. And this is where it gets to get, this is where it starts to get a little more complicated and interesting, I think. This also goes back to the issue with taking responsibility for your own mind. Um, but sometimes the standards are too high, sometimes they're too low. So with standards being too high, there's an expectation sometimes in terms of people being normal that people won't get depressed or anxious. Uh, people won't experience very, very intense emotions like intense anger, uh, intense grief, even things like greed. Um, confusion, falling apart, all these things. Uh, it's important that people understand that that is, that is normal and can be healthy when it happens 
in a healthy way, when it happens in the right way, when it's treated as a kind of learning process, when it's done in a way that's not uh, harmful to others. There's, uh, there are certain kinds of repression and control around mental health that end up backfiring, I think. And part of that has to do with this, this having a too high standard for people, an overly high standard in terms of expecting that no one should experience depression or these very intense emotional states. And then people seeing that, perceiving it, or even being told directly about that, uh, try to ignore it or try to hide those things and feel that they're abnormal because they experience them when they're not. <clears throat> and then sometimes those issues don't get worked through or addressed because they're being ignored out of a fear of being abnormal. Then sometimes standards are too low. Sometimes people allow themselves to experience these things and they again have a negative impact on their community, the people around them. Uh, but there's some understanding that's okay to experience certain kinds of negative emotions and mental states, that that's not a big deal. Anger comes to mind for me. Anger is one that I've struggled with and most people struggle with. But uh, I think especially in our culture and right now in this moment, there's uh, there's a lot of times an expectation that experiencing intense anger is fine. And this sort of seems to contradict what I was just saying, but uh, I don't think it does entirely. And let me try to let me try to uh, come back to that point. But the idea of experiencing intense anger is fine. Experiencing intense emotions can be fine, but it becomes tricky when we're around other people. It becomes tricky in terms of expressing them directly expressing, say, our anger directly to other people. Um, and in certain ways, it becomes a matter of when you let those things go, how you let these emotions die out. So if you experience intense anger, how long it stays, how long you encourage it to stay. So whether the anger arises and you feel it for half an hour, an hour, a day, those kind of quantifications can seem kind of arbitrary or strange, but they're actually uh, they're actually useful and real in certain ways. So does that contradict what I was just saying? I'm not sure about that one. I'll have to think about that. I actually have no answer for that at this point. One of the last things I want to say about this is that uh, the, in terms of standards and expectations, a lot of people have this uh, standard of normalcy, which is a big problem in a lot of ways. It just doesn't work. And I think most people know on some level it just doesn't work, although we forget it and we tend to buy into it. <clears throat> Excuse me, buy into it on some level. But the standard of normalcy doesn't work, especially in regards to mental health in terms of the mind, in terms of emotions. At the same time, the you know, because of that, you have to wonder what the expectation is, what's the standard. And the standard should really be excellent mental health. It should be joy, happiness, peace. So so on that note, it's it's good that people talk about mental health, but the Expectations should never just be coping or getting along, getting by, dealing with problems. It should be a level way, way beyond that. And that's, again, I think another thing that contemplative traditions like Buddhism have to offer to this discussion because you see examples of people, especially really experienced teachers, really experienced meditators and practitioners who have gotten beyond the place of just coping with their emotions or just struggling to overcome their their suffering they've actually gotten to the, you know various next levels and it's not that everyone should should automatically have to do that everyone has to be happy but that's that's a better and more helpful standard than just normalcy and one thing you'll see and i'm speaking about buddhism here but this obviously applies to a whole lot of different religions i'm not trying to uh sort of uh just to promote Buddhism as better than, than them. One thing you'll see in Buddhism is that 
people who have some level of realization can be a little bit eccentric. And that's another thing that you see. I think especially in America, there's very little uh, tolerance, at least in the suburbs, at least in a lot of places, very little tolerance of eccentricity. I'm saying that as someone who's personally kind of eccentric and gets frustrated with uh, a perceived judgment there. But I think, you know, and I'm biased here clearly, but part of the idea there is that eccentricity is part of the key to solving the problem of mental health. That if people are allowed to be eccentric in certain ways, it could sort of let off some steam or allow people, allowing people to be a little weird means that there's a bigger range of acceptable uh, states of mind, states of being, and allows people to be themselves. That's, I think that's pretty important to this discussion of mental health as well. That people can be themselves, that's fine. There's nothing to be afraid of. I think I, I actually want to try to finish this up because I'm seeing I have a whole bunch more ideas here on my Twitter feed. I'm see, I have a, a whole bunch more ideas, and I, I think I could probably talk about this for at least another half an hour. But uh, I want to make this a fairly short segment so it fits into the show in a more or less seamless fashion. One thing I'm going to finish by doing is just clicking on the hashtag and seeing what people were saying, if there's anything that, that I thought was worth commenting on. So just looking over these, there's nothing being said that's all that substantial. I'm sure there are some things... Uh, being said online that are, are meaningful, that have some depth to them. But just glancing over the the top ones, the featured the featured ones, there's nothing that great being said. Again, just that the conversation is happening publicly at all is good. That's a good thing. And that there are pe people out there are trying to be accepting and compassionate. That's also a good thing. But then the question, and this happens with, with most public discussions, I think, Maybe this is just a limitation of public discussions. But the, the question is then, what is the next step? What's the next level beyond a kind of very basic, uh, superficial discussion of these things? So I just wanted to uh, mention a couple of artists and songs that I've been listening to recently that I like. Um, not doing any uh, real background, uh, any research or giving background information, but just sort of a quick rundown of stuff that I've been putting on playlists and stuff that I enjoy. I'm um, starting off with Robert Earl Keane. Um, I think he's been around for quite some time. I remember hearing his name on the radio, hearing about him performing. Um, at folk venues, uh, I guess around where I was living at the time, which could have been a bunch of different places. Uh, but Robert Earl Keane, the song Feeling Good Again. Uh, I like this one, kind of light, not um, not especially intense or or mind-blowing, but just nice, relaxing music. And sometimes that's, that's just what I'm looking for. Sometimes I don't want the intense stuff. There's actually some music that I love, but it's so intense, heartbreaking, that I just can't listen to it more than a couple times a year. And this is definitely not that kind of thing. It's it's pleasant folk music, pleasant contemporary folk. Uh, on this playlist, I have The Shins. The Shins are a band I don't really listen to that much anymore. They're good. Their music is uh, w really well-crafted, I guess I'd call it alternative pop. It has such a poppy feel to it. It's alternative. But something about their lyrics uh, is so... Uh, a little bit overthought. Uh, full of references. Uh, it, it's a little bit too heady for me at this point. And I appreciate it. And the, the songs are still really fun to listen to. I don't listen to the shins that much anymore because it seems like a tiny bit pretentious. Uh, I have an artist on, on here, um, Marquis Hill. I'm not even sure if that's the name of the artist or the band. 
obviously, uh, if it is a, a solo artist, he has a band backing him up. It's uh, the track I have here is the way we play slash minority medley by Marquis Hill, and it's it's jazz. I guess uh, I would say it's modern jazz with spoken word over it. Just really good. That might sound again a little bit pretentious, but it's not. It's really really solid, very smooth, really good. And the jazz itself is not just background music. I think that's something you might get sometimes with spoken word or people who try to combine jazz with some kind of uh, performance or rap aspect and it's not just it's not just background music. It's really worth listening to. I have a lot of jazz on this playlist. Uh, jazz is what I fall asleep to. Uh, I, I, that's that's sort of an obnoxious thing to say in a sense because it's disrespectful to the skill of jazz musicians and just what great music jazz can be if you like it. Um, but I just I tend to find that if I want uh, music to study to, jazz is perfect. Falling asleep, jazz is perfect. Uh, it's not something I really listen to for enjoyment at this point. I have in the past, but right now it's just not. There's other stuff that I go to if I want to, uh, if I'm putting on something around the house or if I'm trying to uh, enjoy the music itself. But um, I, I do listen to a fair amount of jazz because I'm in school and you know I listen to it almost every night as I'm going to sleep. I have, um, I've gotten into, oh God, what's his name? I should know this. Bill Evans recently a whole lot my main sleeping playlist is bill evans uh um a bill evans radio station so like a shuffle playlist of bill evans and artists that are somewhat similar to him but uh i also have a song by bill charlap i hope i'm saying that name right bill charlap on this playlist another jazz pianist really good and reminds me a little bit of bill evans uh, I say that as someone who's pretty much a novice when it comes to appreciating and listening to jazz, but good, relaxing piano jazz. Ah, the Fruit Bats. So I listen, um, I used to listen a lot to this podcast from a radio station, KEXP. I think it's Seattle. Yeah, KEXP out of Seattle. They're a great independent alternative radio station. They play a lot of good music. It's a great, the podcast is free, like most podcasts are, and it's a great way to introduce yourself to new music. It helps if you like that kind of music generally, but if you if you do, if you're somewhat open to listening to alternative and uh, a kind of um, unusual, non-popular mix of music, KEXP has a number of uh, podcasts, actually. I don't know if it's just one podcast with different hosts or different podcasts, but anyway, they're great. I used to listen to them all the time at work. I uh, I cleaned houses, and at least when I was in the bathroom, cleaning a bathroom by myself, I would put on my iPhone and play uh, their podcast in the background. It was nice and felt like it was, you know, made the work a little bit easier and more pleasant. And uh, the Fruit Bats are a band, or it looks like maybe just Fruit Bats, not the Fruit Bats, Fruit Bats are a band that I discovered through the KEXP podcast. Really, really good pop alternative folk type stuff with really nice vocals. Uh, the lead singer has kind of a nasal voice. Um, reminds me a tiny bit of uh, the lead singer for the Decemberists. Um, the lead singer for the Shins too, I think. Maybe that's a thing in alternative music, kind of a nasally voiced, nerdy sounding lead singer, but... Uh, the Fruit Bats songs are just really nicely arranged. They're, there's something so careful and crafted about the arrangement. They're not crafted in the sense of like, if you listen to like a Britney Spears song on the radio or, or um, some pop that's been overly produced and just sort of uh, worked on for, for hours and hours and hours, but just, I would say, more carefully arranged than most... Um, folk and alternative music is like uh i don't know i don't know how else to put it I'd, I'd say the best way is just to give them a listen listen to fruit bass try out some of their songs if you like kind of folky alternative stuff and um 
really heartfelt, but also very well-crafted. I'll just uh, add one or two more here. Uh, I got into listening to funk and funk jazz for a couple of days. I have this group here, Cortex. I think they're French. The name of the song is Troupeau Bleu, something blue. I, I don't really know, but uh, nice, again, nice, relaxing jazz, nice, pleasant uh, uh, jazz with kind of a funk flavor to it, and it's French. Oh, okay, I'll end with this, Charles Mingus. So more jazz. I'm surprising myself here with the amount of jazz that I'm including, and I, I always feel hesitant to uh, to talk about jazz on one of these things because I know so little about it and the people who really get into it tend to be real experts and, and often will know a lot about music I think and my, my grasp of music theory is very thin uh, it's kind of weak but uh, my parents especially my dad I think appreciated jazz they had a couple of old jazz albums around the house when I was growing up when we used to actually have a record player and he had a couple of Charles Mingus albums uh, and there's something so like energetic about it and just weird just weird like there are songs like like vocals over the jazz or like these weird chants uh there's a song called salt peanuts i think that's a, a charles mingus song that's an original of his that's really there's a refrain of salt peanuts they just say salt peanuts uh uh if so if you've heard that before you, you know what i mean it's just really catchy and bizarre, quirky, a lot of fun. I think it's unusual to find jazz that you would call fun exactly. It's, it seems to be so... You might you might say a lot of it's playful, but fun is really unusual in jazz, and Charles Mingus does that for me. But at the same time, just incredibly rhythmic and catchy, and and, and of course really serious. The musicianship is, is top-notch. And with that, I think I'll end this uh, this music section. I think I'll bring on some more artists next time. Again, not with a lot of research or, or planning, just talking about the stuff I'm listening to. Finishing up this episode of the Humility episode of Random Coincidence, I wanted to uh, thank everyone for listening. And uh, and just finish with, with two thoughts about the subject of humility. It's actually uh, a very large subject. There's really a lot to be said. Maybe I'll come back to it again, which would be kind of strange to uh, just, just come out and say I'm going to cover this topic again because I haven't covered it enough. That's unusual, uh, although there's, there's nothing wrong with that in a lot of ways because... Uh, it's it's very very difficult to cover most subjects in depth in in just an hour or two, uh, especially if you go at it in the kind of disorganized way that I do. But two two thoughts to finish up. It's a way of keeping sane and grounded, and it's a way of non hatred. The first one. Humility, especially when you work with it as a kind of felt sense, so not just a matter of working with your thoughts, although that's definitely part of it. I think that's uh, often how most people work on trying to be humble as a way of working with their negative thoughts and their ways of looking at the world, especially looking at other people and their judgments of other people, their expectations. But uh, there's also a way of working with it as a kind of... Uh, energy or you could say sense in your body and there's not really a whole lot I can do to explain that I feel like that's one of those things if you get it you get it you've, you've done it before or you've you've glimpsed it before if you don't get it then you don't and you'll have to wait until you do or try to find it find out for yourself or you just disagree you think I'm wrong but if you if you understand what I mean about that uh, humility is a is a way of staying sane because it, it when you're working at that level of energy or uh, physical sensation, 
it's uh, it has a lot to do with keeping your energy from flying away, getting let it, keeping your energy from getting too wild, from flying off uh, into the heavens. This is this is really the same thing that I was talking about before uh, in terms of keeping on a kind of a leash, keeping it leashed or reined in. That has a lot to do with with staying sane. Staying sane a lot of times just it has to do, uh, and this is based on my experience here. It has to do with not letting the people and events in your daily life knock you over. And it's not to say that th those those people and situations may be very challenging from a more objective standpoint, from a sort a sort of outside standpoint. They may not be that challenging, but your reaction to them is off is often what makes it challenging. So a small thing can become a big thing based on. Uh, your experience of it, your reaction to it, right? So someone could say just a few words to you, and if they say them in a certain way, it could be very upsetting. So a lot of what staying sane is about for me is just not getting knocked over by those things, not letting my mind get taken over or um, knocked down by those things. And that's really... It's, it's connected to staying humble because when you, when you work with that as a sense in your body, it's the same kind of thing. It's keeping it grounded. So that's the first thing. Uh, and then the second thing is as, as a matter of not hating. So one of the sort of um, side benefits or side effects of humility is that it makes it a little bit easier to let go of anger and hatred of other people. If you, if you, you can, you know, whenever you get into a kind of pattern of thinking where you're, you're resenting other people, feeling outraged at their treatment of you, if you can bring in some humility, that tends to uh, to cool things off. If you can understand other people, be a little bit less judgmental, um, and understand that maybe it's okay sometimes for you to not get the best treatment in the world. It's okay sometimes for things not to go perfectly. Um, you know, we're not, we're not little princes and princesses. It's okay for life to be rough in certain ways. Having that going on tends to help short circuit anger sometimes because part of anger is a sense of outrage that you should have your expectations met, that this is unacceptable. Things are not going the way they should that kind of line of thinking and humility can counter that. So I, as I was trying to think about what I would say to wrap up this episode, I, that, that came to mind as something as part of the, one of the ways that humility works. And it was a little surprising to me because I didn't, that's normally not normally what comes to mind for me. When I think of humility, I don't think of patience or not getting angry, but it seems to be connected. So it's one of its many benefits that's all for this episode. Uh, I hope you guys liked it and I will talk to you soon.